0: After not addressing linebacker in the 2023 NFL Draft, should the New Orleans Saints build out that linebacker room by trading for former LSU Tiger Patrick Queen? No, and I'll tell you why. We got all of that and a little bit of land yet for you on today's episode of Locked on Saints. You are Locked on Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, that Nation and Houdat family? Welcome in to another episode of Locked on a Saints, your daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Saints, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks so much as always for being Locked on Saints, your first listen of the day every day. Don't forget you can subscribe and follow for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss a daily Episode. I'm your host Ross Jackson at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter. Your New Orleans Saints expert, credential member of the media, senior writer and reporter over at Saints News Network, Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation site covering the New Orleans Saints. You can find me on Tuesdays on the Locked On NFL podcast and here with you every single Monday through Friday on Locked On Saints. And on today's episode, we're going to jump into answering some of your questions from Twitter, from uh YouTube comments, from the live YouTube show. Everybody up in here, so we're going to get to that, including and starting off with a look at whether or not. New Orleans Saints, former undrafted free agent tight end Lucas Kroll, is going to get a legitimate shot this offseason. We'll break that down and more. We're also going to take a look at Alante Taylor's new number and what a new role could look like for him in 2023. But first, should the New Orleans Saints trade for Baltimore Raven and former LSU Tiger Patrick Queen? And my answer here is no. No, they should not. We'll go through why. We'll look at all of it here in just a moment. Actually, you know what? I'm not even going to make you wait. Let's go through why now. He doesn't fit what the New Orleans Saints are looking for. Bam, pow, pow. There you go. Nice and simple. For me, I look at where the New Orleans Saints linebacker room is. And what do they need? They need a second level pressure player that can play Sam linebacker. That person is not Patrick Queen. Now, if you want somebody to come in and start next to Demario Davis and be a Quan Alexander type, then Patrick Queen is a perfect fit. And I'll tell you too, the... Baltimore Ravens could use a little bit of help at cornerback. So you have the trade pieces to get it done, right? You could do it with a draft pick and a Bradley Roby, for instance. Like there's there's those types of things. I've heard some shopping about like other corners and things like that got tossed around and everything. So there's a chance that maybe something like that happens. Uh, I think you can do the same thing with the Raiders, offer the, the Ravens the same thing that I suggested for Hunter Renfro weeks ago and, and really just a few days ago as well as we discussed it. But you could do that with Patrick Queen probably and, and and pretty comfortably get Patrick Queen here. The thing about Patrick Queen, though, is that the mental processing sometimes has been a little bit of an issue. But his speed, sideline to sideline, his coverage ability, all of those things as a 220-pound linebacker are fantastic. And that's what Quan Alexander was in this defense. But you'll notice that what the New Orleans Saints have been focusing on so far over the course of this offseason is their ability to be able to attack the quarterback, Isaiah Foskey, Brian Brzee, Nathan Shepard, Colin Saunders. That's been the focus for the New Orleans Saints. It's not just coverage, not just second level coverage. It's been getting after the quarterback, pursuing the quarterback. That's been a big part of what the New Orleans Saints have been focused on this offseason. And so for me, Patrick Queen kind of goes a little bit opposite the grain there. doesn't mean that Patrick Queen wouldn't be a good acquisition, but if I'm projecting whether or not the New Orleans Saints are going to trade for Patrick Queen, my initial response is going to be no, because it doesn't fit what the Saints have done over on the defensive side so far, and it doesn't necessarily answer the question that they need to answer at the second level. Also, Patrick Queen's a starter in the NFL. You're really going to trade for this guy and say, okay, you're playing third fiddle to DeMario Davis and Pete Werner for another two years? I I don't think you're going to do that, and I don't think you're going to give up assets to do that. But I think if you want a similar style linebacker to Patrick Queen that you don't necessarily have to trade assets for, that you don't have to feel like you're trying, you're putting in a situation or forcing into a situation that he doesn't want to be a part of, You go to free agency and you sign Deion Jones, who is also a former LSU linebacker, yes, but has a similar skill set. But he blitzes a little bit better. He tackles a little bit better. His mental processing is there a little bit better. His coverage over the middle of the field in zone is better. Patrick Queen's fantastic in man coverage, not so great in zone or not as great in zone. So I think you look at a guy like Deion Jones as maybe fitting the bill a little bit more. And you have the connection between Deion Jones and Joe Woods. Joe Woods was his defensive coordinator in Cleveland just last year. And also the extra extra piece to all that is that you go to Deion Jones and you get him to say yes to the role before you do anything with him. Patrick Queen, you kind of have to, because you can't really talk to him. That's tampering. You, you kind of have to just trade for him and then hope that everything works out. Obviously, like it's not going to end up that, you know, they would obviously have those conversations and, and role conversations and stuff like that with representation and all that stuff beforehand. But you understand what I'm saying. Deion Jones is saying yes to you by signing a contract. Patrick Queen is just getting traded, like if he gets traded. So what is it that makes people feel like Patrick Queen is going to get traded? I think that there's enough evidence out there. They The Ravens did not uh, pick up his fifth-year option, but that's not enough, right? Not picking up a fifth-year option doesn't mean that the team is out on the player. Makai Becton over in uh, with the New York Jets didn't get his fifth-year option picked up, but that doesn't mean that his time is over with the Jets. It could be, and it could. Same thing with Caesar Ruiz. He didn't get his fifth-year option picked up either. We're going to see this more and more and more around the NFL. Teams not picking up fifth-year options. Why? Because they're too expensive. It's too much money at this point, especially positions like linebacker and interior guard because of the swelling contracts around the NFL. Guys like Roquan Smith of the Baltimore Ravens gets a big contract and all of a sudden the fifth year option goes up because of that. So I look at The fifth-year option is being just a part of the story. I think the Trenton Simpson draft pick in the top 100 by the Baltimore Ravens. Now, that's some writing on the wall. The Clemson linebacker who, for some, was like the linebacker one in this year's class, ahead of guys like Jack Campbell and Drew Sanders. But that, to me, is the thing that puts the the sort of largest text on the wall for Patrick Queen that says, hey, buddy, you might be out of here soon, because Trenton Simpson is the Patrick Queen mold. He is that coverage linebacker. He is the Deion Jones mold. So I think if you want a linebacker like Patrick Queen, you just, you try to sign Deion Jones. And then if you can't sign Deion Jones, where you can control the costs a little bit, where you can figure all of that out, then maybe you make the move and then you trade some assets if you want a Patrick Queen style linebacker. But if you don't want a Patrick Queen style linebacker, which seems to make the most sense for me when I look at the New Orleans Saints roster, particularly at the second level. It seems like there's still options for them. Guys like Miles Jack, guys like Nick Quietkowski. Those guys are still out on the rot, or still out in free agency. They're not starter material in the NFL anymore. Let's just be real. We saw Quietkowski in, in, in Atlanta last year. Didn't work out. But Quietkowski hasn't been necessarily the person that we expected him to be since his Chicago days. Um, and he's been asked to to pressure the passer a little bit. I mean, he's only got one season where he was asked to pressure the passer. More than 40 times, but he came up with 10 pressures and a sack off of that back in 2019. His last year with Chicago, he was he pressured the quarterback on pass rushers um, 13 times on 39 pass rushing stats, but had three sacks that season. So you can see a little bit of that production there. But he also gives you something in coverage, which has kind of been his his calling card throughout his career until kind of the drop off when he ended up in Vegas and then eventually with the Atlanta Falcons. Another name to watch out for would be Miles Jack. Miles Jack's one of those guys that's only been asked to pressure the passer more than 50 times in three seasons in his career. But all three times that he was asked to pressure the passer or rush the passer more than 50 times, he came up with double digit pressures. And he came up, and in two of those three seasons, he came up with three or more sacks. So I think that that's maybe where you're looking at in terms of the mold. You're not necessarily looking for a six foot, 225 pound linebacker. You're looking for a six foot one, six foot two, six foot three, 240 pound, 250 pound linebacker that you can line up as a Sam and have him rush the passer. And Sam, what I mean by that is just strong side linebacker. He's lined up where. Maybe the heft of the offense is where there's kind of a you know the running backs on that side of the quarterback, or there's a tight end lined up on that side, that kind of stuff. And so I think that those guys are probably better fits for what the New Orleans Saints need and what the New Orleans Saints will ask of a linebacker who shows up here in the Big Easy, which is hey, you're not going to be a starter, but you're going to be a key piece on 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 rushing downs, and we're going to utilize you as a pass rusher. And guys like Miles Jack fit that category a little bit better. If you want the coverage guy. Try to go out for a guy like Deion Jones, who you already have a connection to, and see if you can get that done before trading away some assets for a guy like Patrick Queen. Now, I say all this and then watch right before I publish this episode, the Saints are going to trade for Patrick Queen, and I'm going to have to redo all of this. But this is where I stand as of right now. And look, maybe you disagree. And you know how it is. Every day is I love the back and forth. I love the dissent. So let me know. Let me know what you think uh, about the idea of trading for Patrick Queen. And... Look, I'm trying to remove the Louisiana bias out of this all the way to as I rock my, my, my Marrero shirt, but you know how it goes. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at Alante Taylor. He uh, got a new number, and it's a pretty dope one, and what his new role could look like in 2023. Got that coming up for you as we continue on with today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team, every day. Today's episode of Locked on Saints brought to you by our friends over at Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market, on the planet, in the solar system, in the universe. You're not going to find a protein bar better than this one. You can go and check them out over at Built.com so you can see all of those incredible flavors, including awesome flavors like mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, cookies and cream, salted caramel, uh, cherry barcia. And I know what you're thinking. Yo, those must be packed with sugar, especially considering the fact that they are covered in 100% dark chocolate as well, but they're actually not. You're getting about 17, 18 grams of protein from these dudes, but only about 130 calories and four grams of sugar. Yeah, it's that dope. That good and that good for you. So go and check them out today. You can find more at built.com. And of course, if you're near a Sam's Club or a Walmart, you're gonna be able to get them there as well. Uh, if, you had, if you got a Walmart, head over to the pharmacy section. You're gonna be able to get a four bar box of some super dope flavors. If you're near a Sam's Club, head over there. You can get a Baker's Dozen 13 bar box of hit flavors like churro puff and uh, brownie batter puff as well, which is one of my favorites. So go and check them out today, once again, at Walmart, Sam's Club, and at Built.com. All right, family, continuing on with today's episode of Locked on Saints. Make sure you're coming through for tomorrow's episode as well, uh, for you everydayers out there. Because um, you yeah, I'm going to answer some questions at the end of this episode, but I got one question that was so good from uh, Petty Murphy on Twitter, who wanted to know, what are the real changes slash tendencies from the successful 2010 to 2015-ish offensive juggernaut that Pete Carmichael needs to get back to? I thought that was such a great question. We're going to turn it into a big part of tomorrow's show. What are some of the tenets from 2010 and on the elite New Orleans Saints offense that the Saints need to get back into their offensive attack here in 2023? We're going to break that down tomorrow. Big shout out to Petty Murphy At Just2Kosher, that is such a good Twitter handle. That is such a good Twitter handle. At Just2, number two, Kosher. Follow him, because his Twitter handle's dope. All right, so coming up here next, though, we're going to take a look at Alante Taylor. We saw a bunch of players get their numbers. Rookies have their numbers. uh, But along with that, we also saw some shifting, some changing in terms of numbers as well. And one of the big changes that happened that I wanted to highlight, because I'm not going to just run through a list of numbers that's boring, that's boring. We're trying to be entertaining. I'm trying to keep you entertained here. Um, Alante Taylor though goes from twenty-seven to numero uno to number one. And I think that's pretty dope. Like Alante Taylor, we talked yesterday. We we were talking when we did our uh, live episode yesterday, we were kind of talking about the confidence of Kendra Miller, who said, Hey, I'm coming for that number one spot. Hashtag ludicrous. And uh, a guy that did something very similar was Alante Taylor. Now he didn't go on radio and talk about how he was coming from Marshall Lattimore's job or anything like that. But Alante Taylor walked into the New Orleans Saints training facility and complex throughout training camp and carried himself like he was the best cornerback in the NFL. Like that's the attitude. That's the swagger. That's sort of the personification, the, the personality of Alante Taylor, not in a not in like a diva way or anything like that, just like in a confident way. He's got a tattoo behind his ear that says, I'm him. That's who Alante Taylor is. And he does that like words of, you know, we, we, I asked him about it. I was like, yo, tell me about the tattoo. He was like, which one? I'm like, right, you're right. The I'm him behind your ear. And what he told me was that that is sort of him speaking to himself. He said that words of affirmation are his love language. So this is his love language to himself, is reminded to himself that this is who he needs to be. He needs to be him out on the field. And I love that type of confidence. And it makes me wonder, like, what is Alante Taylor's role in 2023? He's got a new number. He's got this dope attitude, this great confidence. He's a great player, which we saw in 2022. But what's his role in 2023? Is he the starter opposite Marshawn Lattimore? Because I think he's got a really good shot of being that guy. And maybe training camp is the spot that makes that happen here in 2023. But you've also got Paulson Adebo around. And so, when you look at Paulson Adebo and Alante Taylor, which one of these guys is going to be the starter on the outside, and can one of them cross train towards the inside? I think oftentimes when we think about cross training towards the inside and playing in the slot, we often think of Alante Taylor there. I don't know. I mean, I think he could do it. I, I'm, I'm confident that whatever you ask Alante Taylor, he'll be able to do. But I think Alante Taylor's value on the outside is so critical. I mean, this guy came into the NFL. And immediately had to take snaps against Devontae Adams and uh, DeAndre Hopkins and, and all this and played extremely well against some really, really top talent and then was called into action when Marshawn Lattimore, of, car, of course, was injured outside of Paul Sedivo and matched up with even more of those guys. And so, and I know that that was before the, the Raiders game. That was before the, uh, the Cardinals game. But do you understand what I'm saying? And so uh, I look at kind of where Alante Taylor is and he's going to be one of the most exciting players to watch in 2023's training camp this season. Like hands down, hands down. We're going out to mini camp May 13th is the, the media day that we'll go out there. And I can't wait to see if Velante if Taylor's out there early getting work in for minicamps, uh for rookie minis or or OTAs later on in the month and stuff like that. So there's a lot of opportunity that we'll get our our chance to see Elante Taylor. And we'll start to see are they cross-training him in the slot? Does that look like the direction that they're going? Do they still believe in Bradley Roby in the slot? Is that a spot that Jordan Howden, the the Saints um, you know, one of their uh, draft selections, their fifth round draft selection this year coming out of Minnesota. Is that a spot that he ends up competing in? Ugo, Ugo Amadi, who's going to wear the number zero. We got our number zero here in New Orleans. Uh, Ugo Amadi is going to wear that number. So I, I, I look at Alante Taylor and I just think, yeah, I mean, he's well fit for the outside. He can play in the slot, but I just think his value against premier pass catchers on the outside is so invaluable. So invaluable. And so it's going to be a tough decision, but it's a good decision for the Saints to have to make, right? Oh, they've got three starting caliber corners. And listen, Paul Sadebo is still really good. I know he had a down year last year dealing with injuries and stuff like that, but he's still really, really good. And so I think the Saints could go either way. Or maybe one of those guys becomes a trade chip. We don't know, right? There's, there's opportunity there potentially, especially if they want to trade for a linebacker or want to trade for a tight end or want to trade for a, uh, a wide receiver or maybe a, a veteran defensive tackle another edge rusher, whatever, like any of those players, like a cornerback is a premier position that will help you move the needle when it comes to trade value. So we'll see if the, if the Saints end up going that route, which would be surprising based upon how that worked out for them last year, right? Moving on from CJ Garner Johnson, feeling like they were really, really confident about their depth. And then all of a sudden dealing with all the injuries that they dealt with, but it's going to be very, very interesting to see exactly where Alante Taylor fits. Last year, starting five, when it came to the secondary, it was supposed to be Marshawn Lattimore, Paul Sidibe on the outside, Bradley Roby in the slot, Marcus May and Tyron Matthew at safety. They ain't they didn't take a, a single snap together in 2022. So where does Elante Taylor now fit into that equation with all five of those players still on the roster? And we'll have to see too, right? Like how does Marcus May's potential suspension end up impacting some of that deployment and all that too? But man, I, I think it's just going to be really like we talked yesterday about how hard it's going to be to keep Kendra Miller off the field. Alante Taylor was that guy last year. It was so hard to keep him off the field because of how freaking good he was and how consistent he was and how consistently good he was. I mean, he was awesome. Even though he was one of the most targeted corners on a per snap basis last year, he helped to lock down some of the best numbers in terms of completion percentage, reception percentage, um, you know, forced incompletions, um, uh, 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 passer rating, all of those things. Like He did so well in that role. And I think it's going to be really, really hard to, to say anything other than Alonte Taylor is your starting cornerback opposite Marshawn Lattimore. So I think he's in position to win that role. And now he's got the number. He's got the swagger. He's got the confidence. Like it's all there. So he's got the, he's, he's in position to win that role here over the course of training camp. And Paul said, is going to have to do some fighting to keep it. But one way or another, the Saints win in this situation because they've got three outstanding cornerbacks and can pick who they want opposite their all star guy. And Marshall Lattimore, not a bad place for the team to be going to be really interesting though, to see how the, um, how the players you know, deal with that. And, and just to be clear too, Alante Taylor and Paul Debo, like good friends, like fast friends, like they connected, got like the moment that Alante Taylor showed up, like those two were getting along their lockers. Aren't far from one another. Um, if you walk into the locker room and you walk straight towards the back, you can kind of go through these double doors and either side of the double doors. One side is Paul Debo, One side is Alante Taylor. They're directly right there. So like these guys kick it, they hang out, they train together, they work together, like they do all this stuff, like they're friends and everything, according to what guys like Chris Richard and stuff like that told us last year. And so even though there might be some competition there, don't expect it to become an issue. Like these guys are, are pretty close to one another uh, and have a lot of respect for one another. And that goes for Marshall and Lattimore as well. So uh, I don't think you should be worried about that at all. And that's good news because then that just means that iron sharpens iron And competition breeds excellence. And that's what the New Orleans Saints are trying to do with their secondary. That's what the New Orleans Saints are trying to do against the pass in 2023. Be excellent. All right. Coming up next, we're going to wrap up the show with your questions from YouTube, from the live show, from Twitter, from the new from the Locked on Saints Facebook group. We got questions from all over the place. Got that coming up for you. Starting off with Does Lucas Kroll, the tight end out of Pittsburgh, who was an undrafted free agent last year, does he have a legitimate shot to be? a big part of the New Orleans Saints offense in 2023. Got that coming up for you as we continue on and wrap up today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it, that Nation, wrapping up today's episode of Locked on Saints with your questions from all around the Locked on Saints, what do we want to call it? Locked on Saints universe? Do we have our own universe? Do we have a metaverse? No, we don't have a metaverse. The multiverse? We got questions from all over the Locked On Saints multiverse. I like that. I like that. All right, we're going to go over with that. So I want to start off with uh, our first question here from Defiende Nola, who asks, how hard do you think the Saints are going to pursue a tight end in free agency? Any real chance for Lucas Kroll, or as I like to call him, Nick Kroll, because I have uh, memory problems. So when I <laughs> look at When I look at Lucas Crawl, I do think he gets, like, let me, let me start there. I do think he gets a legitimate shot in training camp this year. I I think that the Saints like him. I really do. Because look, they brought him as an undrafted free agent last year. He stuck around on the practice squad. They elevated him to the, to the, uh, to the, uh, game day roster a couple of times. He finished the season technically on the active roster in terms of a couple of games toward the end of the season there. And then they give him this sort of future reserve deal, keep him around. It's clear that they like him. And when you look at the, um, When you look at the tight end room, I mean, who you got? You got Forrestal, you've got Lucas Kroll, and you've got Jawan Johnson. And yeah, Taysom Hill might still technically be classified as a TE on the roster, but you know he's going to take snaps at quarterback. He's going to take snaps in the backfield. He's going to take snaps out wide. He's going to take snaps in the slot. He's going to take snaps in line. Like, you know, he's not a tight end. Like, he's not that guy. He's not like the guy at the position. Juwan John Johnson is the guy at the position, but then after him, there's really nobody there. So if the Saints were to just kind of say, all right, well, let's see what we got here. Lucas Cruel gets the inside track to being the second tight end in on 12 personnel, which the Saints ran 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends uh, on 21% of their passing downs last year amongst the top when it comes to other teams around the NFL, relative to other teams around the NFL. Now, some of that could have been Spawned by the fact that they had so many injuries at wide receiver that they weren't running a lot of eleven personnel by the time it was all said and done. Uh, but either way, like we've seen the Saints and heard the Saints over and over again say that they wanted to run twelve personnel. That that's a desire of them to go into more two tight end sets. So outside of Juwan Johnson, you're going to want another tight end out there that's going to be able to contribute. So I do think that they're going to be shopping when it comes to free agency. Dennis Allen kind of kind of let it slip the other day when you know, in his uh, post draft press conference, when he kind of said, yeah, you know, and there's some veteran free agents out there that we'll keep an eye out on and everything. And so it's like, okay. And you know, those guys could be, you know, Cameron Brate is one that I continuously bring up. What's going to happen with Foster Moreau in that situation. Even if you do sign Foster Moreau, you have to move him to non-football injury list at the beginning of the season, and then maybe mid-season you get him. So how do you fix the first nine? You know How do you address the position the first nine weeks of the season? All that along with Juwan Johnson. So I, I do think that there's a chance that they go out there and grab a tight end. I would say probably like 80% they do. Uh, but that doesn't mean that Lucas Kroll is not going to get his opportunity because I do think that the Saints like him. And I think he's in line for a legitimate shot there. Uh, even just making the roster as the third tight end, like that's still a, a possible spot for him, for sure. Uh, we'll go up here to uh, DJ Dumway, who says, do you think that the uh, that the Saints will be bringing back P.J. Williams for a camp? No, I don't think so. Um, and I don't mean to say that in a snide way. I'm just, just telling you out front. I don't think that they do. I think that the P.J. Williams era might be over here in New Orleans. And that's evidenced by the signing of guys like Ugo Amadi, as well as Jonathan Abrams, who's mostly a box safety, but that's a role that PJ Williams helped out with. You look at Lonnie Johnson Jr., who can play in the box, who can play away from the line of scrimmage, who can play corner, who can play in the slot. That's kind of PJ Williams, right? That's kind of what I said the moment that they signed Lonnie Johnson Jr. was, oh, there's your PJ Williams replacement. PJ ain't coming back on another one-year deal. And so I think that that time's over. And then you add on top of that Ugo Amadi, number zero in the slot. You add on top of that Jordan Howden, the uh, Minnesota safety that they brought in, who's played over 500 special team snaps, another place where P.J. Williams used to contri- would, would contribute, and then has played over 200 snaps in each of the last three years in the slot, another place that P.J. Williams would back up behind behind Bradley Roby. So you have these guys that can play special teams, that can cover deep, that can play in the slot, that can play outside, that can play in the box, that can do all that. And you've got about four different guys that can cover multiple different positions The P.J. Williams appeal of being able to cover more positions now isn't just one player on the defensive, uh, on defense. It's four players on defense that can do that. Saints didn't really have that. They had P.J. Williams. P.J. Williams was the guy that you can move around all over the place. They didn't really have anybody else that could do that. Now you got four of them things on a roster. And so I look at P.J. Williams as somebody that Maybe if there's injuries, a rash of injuries in the secondary again, instead of them having to go to, you know, go and pick up Chris Harris Jr. off the streets, they can go after P.J. Williams. Like, that's the spot where I think he makes sense. But I don't think he's back for camp. And I don't think that he's on the 53-man roster to begin the 2023 season sans injuries, right? If there's injuries that get in the way and stuff like that. I'm not saying this name. I'm not saying this name because I know a lot of y'all listen to the show while you're driving your kids to school. And I love you and I respect you. So I'm not saying this name. I'm just going to go to the question. Uh, (laughs) Would you trade Ruiz and Roby? So would you trade Cesar Ruiz and Bradley Roby for Patrick Queen? So my answer here is still no, right? But but the reason why I brought this question up is because I want to address the Ruiz part of this question. And I want to stress. Just because the Saints didn't pick up the fifth-year option for Cesar Ruiz doesn't mean that they're ready to trade him. And just because they drafted Nick Saldaveri doesn't mean that they're ready to move on from Cesar Ruiz. Caesar Ruiz, if the Saints would have picked up the fifth-year option this year on Caesar Ruiz, they would have guaranteed themselves a price tag of over $14 million next year. They don't want that, right? You look at um, Jordan Love from over with the Green Bay Packers. That was a $20 million. A fifth year option that they would have had the guarantee to a quarterback that they don't know who he is yet in terms of, you know, seeing him in real live action in an NFL game, regular season NFL game. And instead, what do they do? They sign him to a an extension, which allowed them to cost control things. That's what you should expect from the New Orleans Saints when it comes to Cesar Ruiz. You, you wait and see. He's had one really, really solid year last year, which was great. Jari Evans was a huge part of that when he came in and interned. With Doug Marone, or not intern, but worked with Doug Marone and Zach Strief during training camp, Cesar Ruiz took some great strides because of Jari Evans. Jari Evans is now the assistant offensive line coach in New Orleans, working with Doug Marone. So he's there all season. So Cesar Ruiz picked up a lot of stuff from Jari Evans that helped him out. Now Jari Evans is going to be in his corner and in his ear the entirety of the 2023 season. There's a good chance Cesar Ruiz has another really good 2023. Then you can go ahead and re-sign him and, and come through with the contract. But you can't sit there, especially in the cap situation that the Saints are in, which we know that they're going to be able to navigate. But in order for them to be able to navigate it appropriately, they can't guarantee a price tag. They have to be able to cost control everything in terms of backloading contracts, front loading, you know, low first you know, base salaries and stuff like that. You could sign him to a $14 million fifth year option and then restructure it into future years, but then you run the risk of committing to a player that doesn't you know, that shows you that 2022 was a fluke instead of being something, and then, you know, drops off again in 2023, and then you're stuck with him in 2024. That's not a situation you want to be in. And hopefully that doesn't happen with Cesar Ruiz. But the goal here with Cesar Ruiz, I think, is don't lock yourself into a $14 million price tag in 2024, and instead, wait to see how things go. You can even negotiate the contract during the season. We've seen this with DeMario Davis and Marshawn Lattimore in the past. You know, have him go out there, perform in 2023, and then sign him to a contract a new contract, re-sign him to a new deal, extend him where you can cost control the opening years of that deal. That's going to be what the Saints do. That's what I would expect to see. Him not getting his fifth-year option picked up does not mean that the New Orleans Saints don't have plans for him in their future if he continues to be the player that he was in 2022 coming off that Liz Frank injury that ended his season early. So I'll, 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 that, that's the big thing that I wanted to mention. And then finally here, we'll go to uh, Gabriel Gutierrez who asks, do you think that the Saints should, per- should pursue, excuse me, Makai Becton for next year? So Makai Becton, another guard across the NFL or another offensive lineman on the opposite side of the NFL, the New York Jets, that didn't get his fifth-year option picked up. So the same rule applies. Just because they didn't pick the fifth-year option up doesn't mean that they're done with the player, right? So he might not be available for trade. We'll have to see. I think maybe there's some, some talk around that. I've heard some things around that. And not like I've heard some things like I'm sauced up in, in New York, just like you know, you can see the chatter, right? And so it's that kind of a thing. But here's what I will say the um, Nick Saldaveri draft pick does put the Saints in position to where if they feel that they're comfortable with Caesar Ruiz and giving him an extension next year, but they're not comfortable with Andrus Pete, which seems likely based on Andrus Pete taking a pay cut, reworking his deal, and now being on a contract year, the ro- kind of writing's on the wall for that. So a guy like Nick Saldaveri probably steps in at left guard far before he steps in at right guard. but if you're in desperate need, there might be some trade options that end up opening up like a Makai Becton, depending upon sort of where that all goes. I don't know that he's going to be on the market. I don't know that he's going to be available. Again, declining a fifth-year option is not indicative of a lack of faith. It's indicative of, whoa, that's too much money. And the more money that the salary cap you know takes in, which is only going to skyrocket when gambling money and TV contracts and all that stuff hit, the higher contracts get, and therefore the higher Franchise tags get by position, the higher that fifth year options get by position, because that's all based on some percentage of the highest contracts at that position. So it's going to be more and more likely, unless the CBA eventually changes the way that fifth year options and franchise tags and stuff like that are structured, that teams are going to decline fifth year options because they don't want to lock themselves into 14, 15, 16, 20, 25 million dollars at a position where they don't necessarily know who that player is yet as they're working into their last year of their rookie deal just doesn't make a lot of sense. All right, coming up tomorrow. What do the New Orleans Saints need to get back to from their previous successful days on offense in 2023 with Pete Carmichael, Derek Carr, and the weapons that they now have on offense to allow them to be able to be a top flight offense in 2023? Where do they need to get back to? We'll break that down in tomorrow's episode, as well as answer more of your questions from the Locked on Saints multiverse. Appreciate y'all very, very much every day, for being here for another episode here on Locked on Saints. Thank you so much for taking the time. Make me a part of your day, part of your routine for saying yes to me and the show as always. If you see me say hi, especially out at Jazz Fest this weekend, if you need anything else around your new real estates in between these episodes, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how you're moming and them. And trust you, that nation, I'll holla at you.